Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18, I'm going to start reading there. It says, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we, have, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. So you got to understand this, and we've talked about this before, but I'll mention this again. Antichrist spirits, just so you know, they will function in a church until they can't handle it anymore. And you say, what causes them not to be able to handle it anymore? The preaching of the word every single time. That will cause the Antichrist spirit to get nervous and get fidgety, and then it can't stay in its seat anymore, and it will leave. Because the Spirit of Christ, how many know it's greater than the Spirit of Antichrist, amen? And so um, that's what causes uh, that to happen. But the enemy is an infiltrator, so he will try to start from within. Now, I've noticed this about the enemy. If he can't get people to fight within a family, within a body, a, a church body, within a business, if he can't, any, any sort of uh, team effort, you know, where you have people working together, if he can't get them to fight from within, he'll try to bring something from without to influence and cause things to break up and fall apart. So uh, just, to, j- just so you know how he kind of operates, and this gives us that picture uh, to a degree. So they go out. And uh, in this particular passage, we see, uh, John says, but they went out that they might be made manifest. In other words, that they might show forth who they are, that none of them were of us. And then verse 20, which is a great verse, we love this verse, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Then he says this in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Now, there's a whole lot of backstory there that you'll have to go back and listen to the other messages if you want to catch that. But last week we left off, and we're, uh, we're preaching out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe is where we're at, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're discussing the spirit of Antichrist and the characteristics of the spirit of Antichrist. And last week we left off talking about what it means to be unthankful. So this evening, I want to move on to unholy. So right after unthankful is unholy. So remember that we're discussing the spirit of Antichrist and we're just giving some adjectives to describe how that spirit operates in humanity. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 is a good one. There are other other ones, but I, I like this one. They reveal to us the tactics so that we do not live ignorant of Satan's devices. So when Doug Jones was here... He had shared with us when he was speaking about the mind and how to protect the mind, and he was talking about the armor of God. But how many realize this, and he stated this, the armor of God, what it basically boils down to, the important part is not necessarily the sword, the shield, the the breastplate, as far as the description of those things. It's the knowledge. Knowledge is actually the weapon that defeats the enemy. Amen? Amen. So they would say things to us like this in Bible college, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. In other words, if you're going, how many like information before you go into a situation? Okay, you know, you don't want to walk in blind, right? You don't want to, you want information ahead of time. Well, scripture is information ahead of time. 
Okay, so he gives us information to be able to handle the enemy. So the Bible says that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, but what I've found through the years in my own life and in believers' lives is that a whole lot of believers are ignorant of the devil's devices, that they are not savvy to who he is. Now that falls to the preachers and that falls to the hearers. In other words, it falls to all of us, right? You know, uh, sometimes people think, well, um, you know, I didn't have anybody to teach me or I didn't have this, that, or the other. But a lot of times what it boils down to is that we don't take the time to dig to find an answer. That's what happens most of the time. Now, does it fall to the ministers? Yes, it falls to the ministers. We have a responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. But how many know we would be here for a little bit if we did the whole thing all at once? And how many realize this, that the scripture does require of all of us that we study to show ourselves approved? Now, sometimes people think, oh, no, that's for the preachers only. But you got to remember, Paul made this statement concerning the, concerning the Bereans. He would teach the word and minister the word to the Bereans, and he said they were more noble than the last group he ministered to because they searched the scriptures daily, not Sunday, not Wednesday, what day? daily every day they looked to the word of god to see if what paul was saying was true now, i wonder what their faith was like amen you know when you're on top of it daily you're on it daily you're in the word daily when the enemy shows up you go ah, 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 ah. no no i see you i used to there was a tv show i watched years ago and it uh, one, of the, one of the kids in the TV show was the class clown. And then he became a teacher. And he caught every one of the attempts of the class clowns in his class before they could do anything. Why? Because he knew in advance. Amen? So this is why we teach these things. People say, well, you're saying I'm unthankful. You're saying, no, I'm not. I mean, if you are, you are. You need to change it. Besides that, I know, I know, we have to go over it again. We have to go over it again, right? For me, for all of us, I didn't write the book. Amen. How many know it's easy to shoot the messenger? <laughs> Do you know what that is? A tactic of the enemy. Well, I just don't like the way they, they, they speak that. But, you know, I don't like their personality when they preach. But if they're preaching the word, can you get past it? I'll go, I'll go back to another, another, another illustration, okay? If you are, if you are uh, uh, dehydrated and you're in the desert and somebody hands you, uh, you come up and you find some and they hand you a uh, purple plastic cup with water and, and you're about to, I mean, you need water now. You're, you're at the edge of dying, right? You need, you need moisture in your system. Do you look at the cup and go, I don't drink from purple cups. <laughs> do you understand the illustration? Do you, do you see it? In other words, if the word's coming out, don't look at the brand of preacher. What do you mean by that? Well, if it's coming through a Baptist, Pentecostal, get over it. If it's coming through a Pentecostal, Baptist, get over it. If it's coming through a Lutheran, Methodist, get over it. If it's the written word of God, devour it. 
Eat the, people say, yeah, but they don't preach everything just the way I like it. I know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Eat the hay and spit out the sticks, right? In other words, make sure that you get what you're supposed to get out of the word of God and don't get uh, wrapped up in natural things. Don't be, you know, distracted by things that you shouldn't be. All right. So knowledge is the key. We overcome by acting on the knowledge of the word of God. So we looked at lovers of themselves so far. This is um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. We looked at these different des descriptive words or phrases of the spirit of Antichrist. So we looked at lovers of themselves. We looked at lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents and then last week we we spent the whole time on unthankful and i'm just going to read that description again if you want the description of the others you can go back and listen to the other to the last week's message i gave them all but i'll spend too much time teaching on them and i won't get where i need to be all right so unthankful again this is a person who had a thankful attitude but now this same person has lost their thankful grateful and appreciative attitude and now is unthankful Thoughts of unthankfulness, ingratitude, and unappreciativeness now fill their heart and mind. The person is not thankful for the good they have experienced or for the blessings they have received. They are no longer thankful for the people who have treated them kindly. Instead, they meditate on and focus on the negative, usually petty stuff. That was my own addition and are filled with ingratitude toward what others have done for them. They become what's called an ingrate. How many have heard of that before? They're just, they're just ungrateful. They're, they're unthankful about everything. They complain, complain, complain. Now, if you want to know if you're that way, sneak up on yourself sometime when you're talking. Have you ever done this? I, actually, I don't remember what minister I heard say this years ago to me, and it really was a revelation to me for myself I he said S listen sometimes to what you're saying what comes out of your mouth well I got this job but they don't pay me enough how about thank you Lord for this job and you provide all my needs according to your riches and glory well I have a spouse but you wouldn't know it in other words, in other words, they don't do what I want and I, and I don't do, and, and, and they don't do this and they don't do that. And all you, and if all you're hearing coming out of you is what they don't do for you, what are you? Amen. Preach. Go ahead, Sean. I believe I will. You're stuck here. It's raining outside. So you might as well just get in and enjoy it, you know? <laughs> do, do I allow a meditation, a reel going over in my mind over and over again of the negatives of my spouse or the negatives of my siblings or the negatives of, you name it, your boss. Well, all they try, they're always just telling me stuff to do. They're your boss. What do you think they're gonna do? They're going to tell you what to do. It's, you're getting, you know, people, well, they never thank me. Did you get a paycheck? Well, yeah, I got paid, but, you know. That's what? Unthankful. Now, if you're not born again, okay, I understand it. But if you claim you're a Christian, 
It's your witness to be thankful. You're actually, you're actually declaring to the people around you, if you're unthankful, you're saying, I actually don't practice what I believe. That's danger, right? You don't wanna get trapped into that. So we wanna be thankful. We wanna be grateful for what we have. So let's move on to the next one here, unholy. Unholy, which is um, uh, the next one in the list here. In, in verse number two, unholy means impious. It means wicked and profane. The word means to be irreverent and disrespectful. You think we have any irreverence and disrespect in our world today? <laughs> These are people who are offenders of all that is holy. They're offenders of all that is holy. So this word can be translated irreverent or disrespectful, either one. It depicts those who have lost all fear of God and whose way of thinking and outward actions have become ill-mannered. Oh, there's a, there's a lot of good words here. So they, they've become ill-mannered, impure, unclean, lewd. You think we have any lewdness today in the world? indecent i like this word crude they're coarse they're vulgar how many were ever told that by your parents i was told that don't be vulgar stop being vulgar you know usually it was my brothers and i burping or something like that you know loud at the wrong time we were unholy <laughs> unholy little creatures all right so vulgar it means offensive. You know, we should not intentionally try to be offensive as believers. That, you know, so there's, there's two extremes here that, I, that I've watched that, that happen. Um, I've watched it potentially in my own life, but then also as believers uh, just in general in the church. One side says we have to love people so we never counter anything that they're doing. Another side says, we love people, but we're just going to go to the other end and just, you know, be the major, a major legalist. You know what I mean? And we need to find the middle. Like, we don't want to purposely be offensive, but how many realize that the truth of the word is offensive? It's how we present that truth, Right? that either in, 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 uh, entreats somebody to the gospel or doesn't. And so we don't want to be just, uh, uh, um, just offensive in that sense. Now, I know in context what we're talking about is, is, is the, the nature of being unholy, so we don't want to be unholy in that sense or offensive in that sense. And, and another word is rude. Rude. It depicts words or actions that are unholy, unsacred, impure, and unsanctioned by God. I like that statement. Something unholy is something unsanctioned by God. So what in our lives is unsanctioned by God? That would be something we want to remove out of our lives. Now, I'm not talking about your spirit man. Your spirit man's born again, but I'm talking about maybe in your thinking, in your speech, and in your actions. If you're still talking the way you did before you were saved, it's not the unpardonable sin. It's just something that's unsanctioned, and you need to go ahead and remove that out of your life. Instead of those words, I'm going to replace those words that I used to use with these words. 
Amen. And how many realize this? It doesn't have to be the King James Version. You can just say things differently and include the word of God without quoting chapter and verse. Right? You can do it in such a way that you're actually kind of a sniper. Special forces, right? They don't know you're coming. You're just nice, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a conversation. You're flowing in the fruit of the Spirit, but you're not compromising who you are in character. Like I would do this on job sites all the time because when I work construction, I mean, construction people can be some of the roughest people, all right? And I know there's rough people in all groups, okay? And we all have our different ideas of what that is. But when you go into a place and you're engaging with people, you're friendly with them, but you don't talk the way they talk. You don't have to say, you don't have to uh, um, try to, uh, I don't know how you would say it, but you don't need to try to uh, be like them, but you can be friendly. And then when they're using certain language, you don't participate. And guess what happens over time? They look at you and they realize something's different. And eventually, what does it do? It opens up a conversation to where you're able to what? Respectfully share the gospel or share what you believe. Amen? And what I've found is, is a lot of people um, are open to the gospel because they want help. Because um, how many know the devil is a really bad dad? All right. So <laughs> it's just the truth. All right, so this is a great description of unholy from Romans chapter 1. So if you want to write unholy in your notes and then put Romans 1.32, this is a good description of it. It says this, it says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This verse portrays a society that has knowledge of the Bible and is well-versed in what the Bible says, but because the people do not find the knowledge convenient or amenable to what they desire to do, they will, they will not only discard it and put it aside, but they will also seek to encourage and promote unholy activities to others. In other words, there will be a global public relations campaign to endorse sin and to encourage the unrestrained acceptance of every immoral lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> For those of you that watch the news, regardless of how it conflicts with the time-tested authoritative voice of God's word, people who function in unholiness are ungodly people. God is holy and we are to be holy as he is holy. So if I function in, un in unholiness as a believer, I'm functioning in an ungodly manner. So Paul would say it this way, don't use your liberty in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. Amen? Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't, don't yield to the flesh's desire. Every person is living from a certain persuasion in their life. People who believe in God and believe that they are going to stand before him one day and give an account for what they have done, conduct their lives in a way that reflects that conviction. Holiness. People who reject truth or don't believe in God and that they will have to give an account of, uh, for how they live will follow their own desires. In essence, Rick Renner put it this way, in essence, that person's mindset reduces him to living for temporal things 
living for temporal things, often on the level of a mere animal, and to do things that are contrary to the word of God with no concern for eternal consequences. So uh, Heidi showed me a video the other day. I don't know if it was on a reel or whatever. Was that today or the other day? About the, uh, fur, the little fur person. Animal person. Like they think they're an animal. And they were, what are they called? Furry. I almost said Furby, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> I think that's a stuffed animal or a, like a toy. Yeah. So she showed me this video of a furry. And they were doing a good job. They looked like a, they were on all fours and they were bouncing. I don't know if it was a cat or, I mean, it was a person, but they were dressed up like a cat or something like that, all right? <laughs> what is that? Now, two things here I, I want to mention. One, how, how are you going to preach the gospel to a furry? Now, here's the thing. You got to consider this because the scripture doesn't say go into all the world and preach to the gospel to just certain people. It says everybody. So I can't hold an attitude of like, I'm just so disgusted with what I see because it's so strange to me that I'm not willing to engage and preach the gospel with this person. Neither can I hold the attitude of, well, Jesus loves everybody, so it's okay, do whatever you want. We gotta live here. Right? We got to live in the middle. So how are you going to reach a furry? Right? But what a, the other side of this is this, because you got to preach the gospel. You got to preach truth, right? The other side of it is this. All right? What is going on in a person's mind that they think that that is okay? They are engaging, meditating, ingesting something unholy unsanctioned by God. And if you read Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two, you know, we like to, I think sometimes just in the natural, I can tend to be this way too. We like to like reserve everything extreme on the sin side to hell right away. God just, just take them out. They're, they're too far gone anyway. But Jesus didn't do that. Not even with the madman of Gadara, right? Now I'm not saying every one of them will get saved. They have to choose Jesus. But God knows who will be set free. Amen? And so we have to, we, but, what, but what causes that person to act that way? They have, well, first of all, if they don't have a relationship with God, it really shouldn't surprise us that much. It shouldn't. We have parents today that, are, that have no relationship with the Lord, really probably to a degree hate God or hate the idea of religion, at least they think they do at this point, and they're taking in this message from the world that they should raise their kid without a gender. So now who's going to minister to those people that have been raised underneath that type of thinking, that have no functional idea of what God is like? In their mind, evolution is real. Right? I'm not arguing the case for them to be okay with that. I'm arguing the case that we better have some power in our lives in order to deal with what is unsanctioned in their lives. And I will say this, as believers, if we're going to live as a, if we're born again and have the spirit of God within us, but yet we live unsanctioned, we'll have no power to deal with the unsanctioned in them. And it's not because the power isn't available. It's because we've short-circuited it all. 
We've short-circuited what potentially could be the power of God functioning, even as Christ did and the early apostles did. And we still see it till today, of course. But the body of Christ as a whole, to where we are so in tune with the Spirit of God, we're so, we're so in the place of what God has sanctioned that there's a free flow of the power of God with no hindrances. Amen? I don't know about you, but I volunteer for that. But if I'm going to live in that, I have to know the spirit of Antichrist and keep it out. Amen? So we need to ask ourselves this question. There are a couple of questions here. And, and seriously, think about it. Take, this, uh, take the questions and sit down with the Lord and, and, and think about them, meditate on even through the day. Do I have a serious attitude about sin and its consequences? Or have I become too casual about godless behaviors that are not sanctioned by God? Am I just like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's not enough. It's enough to get into heaven when you die. But the Lord has empowered us to live for him now. So if Christianity is just about fire insurance then what's the point of staying here Jesus said to go into all the world and people say well yeah but I'm not called to do what you do preacher you are called to preach just as much as I am and I know many of you are doing it I know you are you're living that out but are there areas of your life that are unsanctioned because to the degree that you're living in unrighteousness or expressing unrighteousness in an area where you know the scripture says that it's not okay, you are shortchanging. You're actually limiting the light potentially that could come out of you. You're limiting your saltiness. It's true, right? And we don't want to do that. Now, there's no condemnation. It's not a condemnation issue. It's a discipline issue, right? How many know this, that the Lord disciplines those he loves? I don't know about you, but I mean, when I go to prayer, it's not always God just going, I just, you're the best, Sean. You're the best, the best, the best. Just come up here and cuddle with me for a while. It doesn't work for me anyway. He knows that it wouldn't work for me. <laughs> and I love the presence of God, right? And there are seasons where the Lord is that way, like he knows we need comfort, right? But there is a, there's a portion of the church today, that's all they want to do. They won't even look to correction. Well, no, he would never do that to me. If he doesn't correct you, if, if the God you have that you suppose is Jehovah doesn't correct you, the scripture says he corrects those he loves. That means you're unloved. Hmm. Whew. You know, I'd, I mentioned it last I could show you in my prayer journal. The Lord said to me, he said, Sean, don't fight the sheep, feed them. <sighs> and I just, you know, in that moment, I don't feel condemned, but I feel like I got whooped. which is not, a, it's not wrong. I don't feel like he doesn't love me. In fact, the opposite. 
Why? Because I know it's his discipline. And I know if he disciplines me, what do I know? He, he loves me. Oof. Amen. Some of you got a revelation right there. You're like, oh, yeah, I could use that. You know, I almost want to pray. Lord, correct me. But some of you are hesitant. You're like, I don't know if I want to do that. You should do that. It will just save your life, that's all. It'll just protect you from things that the enemy is trying to do to destroy you. Amen? Because I don't want to live in something that's not sanctioned by God. Here's another question. Do I ever seriously contemplate that eternity is in front of me and that I will give an account to God for my activities in life? Ooh, I do. I think about it. I know I like to quote this, but I like some of the old-time preachers. I like the new preachers too, like the younger generation of the, the, you know, that's coming up now that God's used. But I like the old time guys. Ever watch Lester Summerall? People's like, who's that? Go look him up. You think the preachers today, you think some are tough today? Oh, no. Go back to some of these old guys. Some of the guys that we love to read today, like Tozer, and some, they were hated in their generation. And we look at it and go, this is amazing. It reminds me of something. What Jesus experienced. Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his days of his day and said, you guys paint up the tombs, but you would have killed the prophets. He said, you paint up the tombs of the prophets and you talk like you would agree with them, but you were, the, you were just as bad as they are. You're a murderer too. He would tell that to the current generation. It's easy to pretend we would be a certain way when we're not there, right? So Lester Summerall had this thing. He said, I live every day for the day that I stand before the Lord. Now, that'll keep you serious. You know what else he did? I don't remember who I heard this story through. I think it was John Bevere. It might have been somebody down at Ramah. I don't remember. But somebody was driving him to a meeting, and they missed the pullover spot to park and drop him off. And the driver put the car in reverse and he said, don't go in reverse. And the man said, what? He said, I don't go backwards, drive around the building. Now, was it important, parking, reversing to park, was that the important thing he was saying? No, what was he saying? I don't backslide, I only go forward. Look up what Lester Summerall accomplished in his life for the kingdom and the work that he accomplished. It's amazing. But the world has yet to see what? What God can do with one man who is totally sold out to him. I mean, that's a, a rough quote. <laughs> the world has yet to see. That's one Mark loves. All right. So unholy. Did you get that one? All right, let's go on to unloving, and we're not going to finish this, not even close, but we got nine minutes so we can at least really dig into to, to thinking about these things and making adjustments as the Spirit of God leads us. So unloving is where we're going here, and I'm going to read some stuff out of, out of Rick Renner's book because... There's just no sense in me trying to copy the book into my notes. It's just so good. All right. 
unloving. Now, in the New King James, this Greek word is translated unloving, but a better translation is in the King James Version, and it is without natural affection. So you could put that, if you want to put unloving, you could put without natural affection. In the Greek, it means hard-hearted towards kindred. Who's kindred? Family. Hard-hearted toward kindred. This is a, this is a, a temperament of the spirit of Antichrist. It's a temperament of the age that we're in. Hard-hearted towards kindred. So without natural affection. In the Greek, it means hard-hearted toward kindred, especially of children for parents or parents for children. Okay? This word means a lack of devotion to family, an absence of commitment to one's family. It, it carries the idea of the deterioration of family relationships, the loss of family affection, or the breakdown of the family. It describes in individuals that have um, drifted so far apart that um, they at last reach a point of irreconcilable difference between themselves. Now, this can be any kind of family. How many know there's a work family? There's a family family. You know, they're your in-laws and your outlaws. <laughs> your blood, right? How many found you can fight with your blood? I'm getting some good waves on that one. <laughs> Preach that. <laughs> You're not supposed to fight with them. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you could do it. All right, there's church family, right? There's, in other words, the idea is relationships get tension. What is that? What is it if I live in a fence toward Heidi? I'm yielding to something. I'm yielding to my flesh nature, right? But who is tempting my flesh nature? The spirit of Antichrist. You see that? You know, I'll do this um, uh, sometimes with certain situations. I'll just speak out loud. Like, have you ever had, uh, have you ever been driving down the road by yourself or been by yourself in a, in a place and you're thinking about maybe some, a confrontation or something you've had with somebody and you play out a whole scenario in your mind that has never happened? That's when you need to go, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over all those thoughts. Now watch, it's not just your imagination. It is your ability to process thoughts, but it's the enemy working within that ability. Amen? Do you see that? So even going back to, you should go back and listen to Doug Jones' messages um, tomorrow. <laughs> Do it tomorrow. They're on the website. Go. You can listen or you can watch, right? You can hear or both, visual and audio. And listen to, where is the enemy attacking you? Well, I remember that one time 35 years ago when my brother did to me. Actually, I can say 35 years ago now. That's horrible. <laughs> I just had that thought. I'm 46. I would have been 11. <laughs> I remember the time, ooh, my older brother hit me in the face with a golf club. 
and he did. Not on purpose. He was a terrible athlete. I would... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and that's why I got hit. Just so you know, if you're golfing with people, don't stand behind the guy with the iron. Seriously, he hit me right here. I don't know how. 36 stitches inside and outside my mouth. My dad said you could lift. Woo! And look how good I look still. Plastic surgery, baby. All right. <laughs> Uh, but I could live with that, with a bitterness. That's why I'm messed up and like I am. You know, I could have been smarter. My brother brain damaged me. <laughs> All the stitches I have in my, that I had in my body, my older brother gave to me. I haven't given him one stitch yet. But I've had thoughts. Yeah, I can't say it yet. <laughs> no. In other words, I, what would that be? I would be stepping out of what godly love into with be, living without natural affection, right? So this phrase in scripture gives us an understanding that the spirit of Antichrist desires the breakdown of the traditional family and home. He actually desires the breakdown of everything. And it all started with self-love, right? I'm a lover of myself first, I'm a selfish person. I'm only thinking about me. I don't want to go there because, you know, that's not what I want to do. But what does godly love do? Godly love will adjust itself in areas where it's not unsanctioned by God. In other words, it's not an unholy thing, but it'll adjust its attitude and its temperament to go do something that somebody else wants to do that is no violation of, of the law of God or the word of God, but it does what? It will have an affection toward building unity within family. Amen? So... This word gives us the picture of disjointed families who have lost closeness that was once exemplified in the traditional family. This is a, um, there's a section here I want to read, and I'm not going to get through all of it. We'll, we'll get through part of it here. Just a little, uh, probably a small part. But I want to read to you about uh, this natural affection. And we're going to get into some different things concerning this that are going to challenge you, but I just want to read exactly what uh, Rick Renner said because that way you'll know that I didn't write it and it'll help you uh, process some things. So the following are some facts along with probing questions and then he puts uncomfortable questions to help you make a truthful analysis about your own home life and what action steps you may need to take to recapture what has been lost, and to make your family stronger than it has ever been. Do you know part of the goal toward the, toward, with the enemy is to destroy family? He wants to destroy the picture. What is the picture of a husband and a wife? Christ in the church. So why introduce homosexuality? Because it's a direct assault on the expression of God in the earth. Spirit of Antichrist. Now, are we to hate people? No. But we are to hate the spirit of Antichrist. Right? We're to hate it. So, he goes on to say this. 
If your marriage and family have already been negatively affected, the Holy Spirit will also show you what action steps to take personally so you can become strong and healthy in your soul again. Only you know the answer to these questions. He says this, I do not want to suggest that I might be able to provide counsel on what your family should do. However, these are healthy questions to ask yourself. The information that follows is based on a 2019 U.S. statistics. Uh, on 2019 U.S. statistics. However, these are similar to st statistics found in the majority of Western nations. So here we go. Television. <laughs> we'll just start with this one. I'm going to shut this down. Television. Statistics show that in the United States, there are nearly three televisions per household. Many families today have a television in the family room, the kitchen, the bedroom, and often even in the kids' rooms. The day of the family sitting together to watch a TV program is almost gone. He says this, instead, people gravitate to various television sets in different rooms of the house to watch what they wish, irrespective of the activities of the other family members. Although you need not be against television in itself or against being financially blessed sufficiently to own a few TVs, you should ask yourself, do the multiple television sets in our home contribute to my family spending time together or do they contribute to pulling my family apart? It's quite a thought, isn't it? See, we're used to it. We live in it. I live in it. I have a television, well, not in my kitchen, but... That seems a little strange to me. But I've driven by houses where there's a TV outside by the barbecue. No wonder their meat is burned. All right, so. <laughs> computers. More than one-third of American households, households have three or more computers in their homes. Do, do each of your children need one? Or can you share among yourselves? I know I haven't even gotten to tablets and cell phones. People are like, television, you know, we're sitting all in the same room and one person's on a phone, another person's on the phone, somebody's watching something on TV and somebody over here is watching something else and they all have the volume up. I'm preaching, my wife likes this message. <laughs> Although you certainly do not need to be against computers, how many know the answer is not throwing everything away? I mean, if you need to, I guess you can. But that's not the answer. The answer is what? Self-control, right? Digital gadget statistics show that the majority of Americans spend up to 12 hours a day in front of some type of screen and that the average person consumes five times more information every day than, than, than he or she did 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you were consuming five times less information than you are now. And people, people will do this. I need a medication. I can't remember what I was supposed to do. No, it's not that. You got five times the things going on in your head that you did before. And you've trained your brain to think in 15-second increments. Well, I just can't remember things like I used to. Oh, yes, you can. Just cut out the things that cause the memory to be conditioned to shorter segments. Your brain is fine. Christ in you is fine. 
All right, multiple cars. Woo! Yeah, but we're blessed, are we? You ready? Can you, okay, you're ready either way. No answer, so we'll just go with it. <laughs> more than 35% of American households have three or more automobiles. The fact is that life has become so scheduled and busy that it is challenging to live without multiple cars in one family. The father goes one direction, the mother goes another direction, and then the kids reach the legal age to drive. They want their own vehicle so they can be free from depending on their dad or mom to take them everywhere they need or want to be. You need to ask yourself the question, are those multiple cars contributing to my family spending time together or do they contribute to pulling my family apart? Mobile phones. Statistics show that more than one-third of Americans have three or more smartphones in their homes. This inevitably leads to family members being consumed with calls, texts, or social media. Family members often don't, e often don't even talk to each other when they sit down for a meal because they are too busy reading, sending texts, or surfing the internet. And I'm going to save the internet and social media for later. Wait till I get to extracurricular activities. Guys, I really do believe this. And, I, and I've stated this before, and I'm going to stop here. But I'm going to read this question for, first. Are mobile phones contributing to my family spending time together? Or do they contribute to pulling my family apart? How many know you can turn it off? You, how, how many have felt this before this pressure? Maybe I'm the only one. But you've felt a pressure like, if I don't answer them, they know I've seen the text. How many have felt that pressure before? Do you know that would be like me barging into Mike's house and just start talking to him no matter what he's doing? It's exactly like that. Because of the tech that we have, now the government just barges in. But because of the tech that we have, it's the same way. We had our men's group the other night, and uh, we were talking about some of these things, and I was talking to Luke because uh, he does some of our uh, video stuff and reels and stuff like that. And I told him, I said, I, I text him every time before I call him, and I ask him if he has time to have a conversation. I do not just barge in. Why? Because people are busy. And they have stuff going on. But we live in a world today where everything is just so accessible, right? Well, why haven't they texted me back yet? Maybe they're on the toilet. <laughs> I mean, and if they are, you don't want them to text you back. If they, even if they do have their phone. But I want to say this. The truth of the matter is we are out of balance. Now I'm saying, I'm not just saying us. I mean, we all have areas we're always fighting for balance, right? We're going to have to always fight for that in this world because we live in an imperfect world, right? So we're always going to be fighting that. But seriously, look at some of these things and go, do we have to do this? Some people feel the need to be involved in so, 
Like they look at their schedule and if they have an open spot, they're like, I gotta fill that with something. There's like this pressure, even in the church world, even in different areas, there's this, there's this unspoken but spoken pressure. Well, if you're not doing this, 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 and this, and this, and this, then you're a bad parent. Where in the scripture does it say, what are the definitions of a good parent in scripture? And what have I added from the culture to that and said, this is biblical too? Heidi mentioned it the other day at uh, uh, Vessels. When our kids were little, the thing was, uh, what did you call them? What are they called? Play dates. Play, I never had a play date in my life. We just went and played at the neighbor's house. We never called it a date. Although the neighbor girl did try to kiss Ian one time on the trampoline, we had to end that date. <laughs> He's a cute little guy, you know, you gotta... Taylor ended it, actually. She was like, okay, well, I don't even remember what the girl said, but Taylor's like, okay, time to go, we gotta go. <laughs> if I'd have known that was gonna happen when we got the trampoline, I might not have got it. I'm teasing. <laughs> But there was this pressure. If you don't have so many play dates, oh, da, 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 you're a bad mom. No, you're not. You're a good mom if you follow the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and let the culture think what they want. You raise your child in the fear of God and they will succeed. Why? Because they'll know how to hear. They'll watch mom and dad hear from the Holy Ghost. They'll know how to hear from the Holy Ghost. And what? We have an anointing from the Holy One and we know all things. Amen? This is exciting, isn't it? I am so glad I live when I live. I'm glad God was like, yeah, put him down now. Put him in there in that time frame. I'm like, yes. Now, if we didn't have this, I'd be upset. But we got this. Best-selling book for generations. Best-seller hands down. And we tried to destroy it, still kicking. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we purpose to hear it and to be doers of it. Lord, as we take time before you, Lord, I thank you that by the Holy Spirit, you're gonna take the words that were spoken and individually speak to each family, each person here. Lord, about their lives and the adjustments they need to make. Lord, that the spirit of faith and the spirit of conviction will operate we bind the spirit of condemnation. We thank you for your leading and your goodness, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.